Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Well, church, uh, great, great start to our service this morning. I love to see people come to Saving Faith in Christ and walk in the waters of baptism. You agree? I mean, you can't get any better than that. Um, That's right. Praise the Lord. New life, everlasting life. So good morning. Let's pray. I need to pray. I don't know if you need to pray, but I need to pray. God in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for baptism and all that it means. God, thank you uh, for your help in this moment and the, the things you're doing in the life of our church. God, I pray you would find us faithful in the moment you've given to us. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach to you this morning something that's a bit different for me. I want to preach to you about baptism. So this is going to be sort of a a theological survey of the scriptures about baptism. I've taken this detour from the Psalms to talk about baptism because in the last couple of months, I've gotten a lot of questions about baptism, even from, from Baptists. And I thought, well, maybe I just need to remind us what baptism is, how it works, why it works that way. And so the, the first place that we would go to to understand that baptism is important is Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20. And we're going we're gonna to be in a lot of scriptures today, which is, again, very unusual for me, I know. But Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, is where Jesus gives us the Great Commission. He tells his church, his disciples, to go make disciples. And he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he tells the church, hey, go proclaim the gospel, go make disciples, and what is the first step in making disciples? Baptism. Make disciples, how? Baptizing and teaching. And and baptism, as we will see in a moment, presupposes that the person being baptized has heard and understood and believed the gospel. So in the New Testament, baptism is the way that new followers of Jesus show that they are joining Team Jesus because they are now believers in Christ. They are a part of the church. They become new creatures in Christ. We see this throughout the book of Acts. People hear the gospel, believe, and are baptized into local churches. This is because local churches are God's ordained place and people where disciples are subsequently taught in a context of mutual and intergenerational encouragement and accountability. Unfortunately, in the world that we live in today, there has been this huge effort to stress the need for personal saving faith in Jesus So some churches have dropped baptism entirely. They've just been like, you know, you just need to trust in Jesus and don't worry about baptism. And I understand the emphasis on personal saving faith because we need to have personal saving faith in Jesus, right? But if you have personal saving faith in Jesus, shouldn't we want to do the very thing that Jesus told us to do 
in becoming a disciple? He says, make disciples how? By baptizing. Baptism is so radically united with the act of saving faith. It is so radically united in symbolizing the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside that Jesus gave us to this as a gift of His grace to to symbolize on the outside what God has already done to us on the inside through faith. Indeed, throughout the New Testament, you'll find there is no such thing as a Christian without the inward transformation that is signified by baptism. Jesus puts baptism first. Make disciples. How? Baptize those who hear and believe the gospel into churches who will do what? Who will teach them to observe all that I have commanded. So why are we here every week? Why are we firing back up Wednesday nights and women's Bible study and a a life application study with Pastor Daniel? Why do we spend time in the Word every week? Because Jesus told us to. Learn over a lifetime how to do the very things that Jesus has commanded us to do. So Jesus is the one who gave us baptism. It wasn't the pastor's idea. It wasn't the church's idea. It was Jesus' idea. And we stress it not because it saves us, but because Jesus is the, excuse me, but because it is the Jesus-given symbol of what happens when Jesus saves us. Country songs notwithstanding, there was nothing special in the water that we just use for baptism. But there is something incredible about obeying Jesus in baptism. Baptism is special because it's from Jesus. And it signifies His death in our place. His resurrection, securing our future resurrection. And our entrance into a community that has been made new by Christ. Jesus commands us to make disciples by baptizing. So the church must baptize. We have no other choice something we have to do to be obedient to Jesus. But the second question we might ask this morning is, who should we baptize? And that answer comes from the book of Acts. And if you are following with me in your scriptures today, it's going to be like the Bible drill, all right? But we're in the book of Acts, and I just want to show you in the book of Acts, the consistent message is this. The people who are baptized are people who hear and believe the gospel, period. That's the only people in the book of Acts that are baptized. It's important that we understand that believing the gospel is more than just accepting facts, right? It's more than praying a prayer or walking an aisle. It is something that actually registers in our hearts individually and then shows up on our faces because God did a miracle in our lives. He took us from death to life, from children of wrath to children of God, from eternal destruction to everlasting life. That is what is being symbolized in baptism. It is a redefining, life-altering, supernatural transformation wrought by the Holy Spirit in which God makes us new creatures through His grace. That's what's being signified in baptism. Being saved means being rescued out of the everlasting death we deserve for our sin and delivered into everlasting life through Jesus, the, the risen Messiah. And this cannot happen Let me say that again. You can't be saved unless you hear and respond to the gospel. You've got to hear the message of who Christ is and what He's done, and you must trust in Jesus. And this always includes godly sorrow for our sins. 
understanding that we are personally accountable to a holy God for everything that we've said and done and thought that displeased Him. And while we deserved to be eternally separated from His love, He came in love out of heaven to live the life that we didn't live but should have and to die the death that we deserve to die but now do not have to. That must register in our hearts and we must be changed by the message in the embracing of the gospel and Jesus Christ as Savior. There is no other way to be saved. And if you're not saved, you're not a disciple. Are we here? We tracking? Baptism belongs, it is given to those who are trusting Jesus. They are hearing the gospel and trusting Jesus. You say, well pastor, why do we do it different now? I'll get there in a minute. Why are there so many different opinions and so many different traditions? I'll get there. But as Baptists, and indeed as Christians, we believe that God's Word is sufficient to tell us how to do what Jesus told us to do. If Jesus told us to baptize, He's going to tell us how to do it. Does that make sense? Alright. Acts 2.37 You say, Pastor, are you sure you got to hear and believe the gospel to be baptized? Acts 2.37. Now when they heard this, What did they hear? They heard Peter's Pentecost sermon. They were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? I long to preach a sermon one day and somebody stand up and say, Well, what do I do about it? That would be awesome. If before the invitation somebody just stood up and said, Well, what do you want me to do? That'd be great. I'm just saying. A few verses later in Acts chapter 2, Luke says this, Those who had received his word were baptized. Not everybody that was there, only those who had received the word. Acts chapter 8. Persecution comes. If you're in God's word, turn over to Acts chapter 8 verse 12. Persecution comes to the church. The gospel spreads outside of Jerusalem. And Luke says in verse 12, when they believed Philip, what was Philip doing? Preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Christ. They were being baptized, men and women alike. So, so who was being baptized? Those who believed the preaching of the good news. Do you, are you starting to catch a trend? Acts chapter 10, Peter preaches the gospel to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit comes upon the hearers and opens their hearts to hear and believe the gospel. And so we read in Acts 10.47, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit. You say, well pastor, what about cases when when an entire household was baptized, the emphasis is still on the hearing and the believing of the gospel. Lydia, we're told in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, if you're continuing to flip through the scriptures, we, are, we read this, Lydia was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And in the following verse, we read that her whole household was baptized, presumably because they heard and believed the gospel as well. And you say, well, pastor, that's an assumption. I don't really think it's an assumption because if you go later in chapter 16, you remember the story of Paul and Silas who were imprisoned in Philippi and God sends an earthquake and opens the jail cells and loosens their chains. And what do they do? They just sat there. They just hung out and waited. And the Philippian jailer is terrified. He hasn't done his job well. What is he going to do about these prisoners? And they're still there. And the prisoner says, again, Acts chapter 16, verse 30, what must I do to be saved? I'm waiting for somebody to ask me that question after today's sermon. What do I have to do to be saved? I would love to tell you that. And then what happened? Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all 
who were in his house, in other words, the whole household heard the message, and immediately he was baptized, he and his household. Acts chapter 18, verse 8. The pattern of Acts continues. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, what did they hear? They heard the gospel, the good news that God came to give His life for them. When they heard this, they were believing and being baptized. The inescapable, consistent witness of the Bible is this. Churches are supposed to baptize people who hear and understand the gospel and believe in Jesus and want to unite with His people. It's clear. In the New Testament, after Jesus is raised from the dead, you cannot find one example of an unbaptized Christian. You'll search in vain to find it. But how should we baptize? It's clear that Jesus says we must baptize. It's clear that He says we must baptize those who hear the gospel, repent of their sins, and believe in Jesus, and welcome them into a community, a local church, to be taught and edified for the rest of their lives. But how do we baptize them? In a world where baptism is, is practiced in a variety of ways, is there an, a right way to do it? Does it matter? And again, we seek to understand this question and answer this question not by the divided opinions in the world, but by the Word and the words of God. And I'm going to explain something to you in this third point that's going to sound pretty trite and pretty elementary, and I don't mean it that way at all. The, another reason that we baptize the way that we baptize is the meaning of the Greek word baptize. The Greek word is baptizo. Can you hear baptize in that, everybody? So the Greek word is baptizo. The word baptize is a Greek word, it's a loan word in our language that literally means to dip or to immerse or to submerge. Immerse is a funny word. I, it just means to dunk somebody, right? Or something. So another reason we do baptism the way we do it is simply that's what the word means. You say, well, how do you know that's what the word means? Well, they didn't just use the word baptize to talk about a, a religious ceremony. Writing in 200 AD, a Greek poet and physician said that you make a pickle by baptizing the vegetable in a vinegar solution. You're not going to make a very good pickle if you only put it a little drop of water on that pickle, right? You got to submerge the you got to submerge the cucumber for the cucumber to become a pickle. Everybody agree on that? <laughs> Writing elsewhere in in the Greek language, a ship that sank was described as a ship that was baptized. Baptized means to submerge, to dunk, or to immerse. We baptize by dunking people because that is literally what the word means. There's no lexical debate about that. In John the Baptist's day, John the Baptist would have been known not as John the Baptist, but as John, John the dunker. Or John the submerger. So, so how did we get to a place then where baptism in our day is practiced and understood by different people who are sincere in their heart, but, but of so many different varieties? I, one word, babies. Babies is how it happened. You see, in the ancient world, infants and young children died 
at an alarming rate. And by the year 200 and, uh, 205 A.D., just about 115 years after the completion of the New Testament, the practice of baptizing babies was beginning to happen in the life of the church. And the reason it was beginning to happen is people were terrified about what would happen to their precious babies if they didn't live long enough to hear and believe the gospel. Does this make sense? And we know, I don't, I don't have time to chase this rabbit, but on Wednesday night, if you'll come to our, our life application class on Wednesday night at 6.30, we can dive deeper into this issue. Children who die before they have an opportunity to come to saving faith in Christ, they're not saved, but they're safe. And, and there's, there's a way I can explain that. That's Wednesday night at 6.30, okay? So we don't need to to run to the baptistry to try to wash their sins away, to cure them of original sin, which they do have, but they're still safe. Explain that Wednesday night. We we don't need to invent something that is not in the Bible to take care of babies and others who are not capable of hearing and believing the gospel and repenting of their sin. Does that make sense? We don't need to create a category that's not in the Bible, but that's what, what happened as fear settled in. Did you know fear will make you do all sorts of crazy things? As fear settled in, more parents pressured pastors to baptize babies in their town just like their friends did from an adjacent town and pastors caved in over time and the significance and the meaning of baptism was eroded. And it became, hey, they're going to be good with God because we put a little water on their head and then we lost the priority of sharing the gospel and seeing children repent and believe and they were growing up in churches thinking they were okay but they never actually trusted in Jesus. They were trusting in getting wet and they didn't even remember it and they died without saving faith in Christ. How do we, how do we cut through this confusion? We follow the word of God Full stop, end of sentence. We just do what the Bible says. And to do this, we've got to refuse to lose the biblical priority of hearing and believing the gospel as prerequisites for baptism. Otherwise, we end up with people who get wet but never get new life in Christ. And we know that in the Bible, baptism was done by immersion by the church for those who heard and repented of their sin and and believed in the gospel. And we know it because that is literally what the word means. And we also know it because we have architectural history from the early church. Historian Philip Schaff said this, The baptistries of the Nicene Age, which is the, the earliest period of church history after the New Testament, The baptistries of the Nicene Age, of which many remain in Asia, Africa, and southern Europe, listen to this, were built for immersion. Indeed, many of the earliest churches, in many of the earliest churches, the baptistry was almost literally at the door to the church. You get the symbolism of that? Welcome to North Roanoke Baptist Church. What's that big thing in the Maui? Oh, yeah, that big... Big pool of water sitting right there in the front door. Yeah, 
You're welcome to attend, but what we would really like for you to do is to hear the gospel, repent of your sin, trust in Jesus, and believe. And when you do that, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to baptize you. Because all the rest of us here, that's what God has done to us. And we would welcome you to join us in that because there's nothing greater than being on Team Jesus, learning about what Team Jesus wants us to do, holding one another accountable, and encouraging one another in the gospel as baptized believers in Christ until he comes or he calls us home. So welcome to North Roanoke. Would you like to be baptized? <laughs> After I preach the gospel to you, of course, or someone else does, or maybe you've heard it out there and you're coming in and you're ready to give your life to Christ. Praise the Lord for that. So, so the meaning of the word tells us that the way baptism happens is by dunking. It's what the word means. The architecture of the early church with six foot deep pools, many of them etched in the shape of a cross, telling you that you are immersing your life in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the architecture of the early church tells us that immersion is what was practiced. And you say, well, that's great. The word, architectural history, but what about like just the word of God? Is there an example in the Bible of dunking? Of course there is. You remember the baptism of Jesus? In Jesus' own baptism by John in the Jordan, what do we read? After being baptized, Jesus did what? came up immediately from the water, meaning he came up out of the water. You're not convinced? That's okay. Acts chapter 8. Let's go back to Acts chapter 8. When Philip is led by the Holy Spirit to preach the good news to the Ethiopian eunuch, when the Ethiopian understood the gospel and God opened his eyes to understand that Isaiah was writing about Jesus, do you remember what happened next? Along the road... They came to some water. This, he's going through desert territory, right? Surely he's got a canteen of water. You don't travel through a desert without some water. So it's not that they don't have any water, but along the road they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized, immersed, submerged, dunked? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went. Where did they go? Both of them. Not just one person getting wet. They both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Do you see the going down into the water and the coming up out of the water? Is that, is that clear? That's baptism. We're going to go down in, and we're going to come back out. The baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch required water, not enough water, not the water in his canteen as he traveled through the desert to, to get a drop on his head. It required that he be fully submerged, which is why both Philip and the eunuch go down into the water. So by the definition of the word, by church, the architecture of the early church, and by the witness of God's word, which is more important than anything else, we can see that baptism is by the immersion of those who hear and believe the gospel and welcome the, and are then welcomed into the family of God as new disciples. And you might be wondering, why do you care so much? And it's not because I like a good debate. There are times that I like a good debate. This is not one of those times. I, I understand that people grow up in all kinds of churches and traditions and places 
But guys, if baptism, and ladies, if baptism is to occur for those who hear and believe the gospel and repent of their sin, and that has not happened, and you're trusting in the fact that you got wet sometime, that's not going to do you any good when you face God in eternity. Does that make sense? And the reason I care is because God's word is clearer than, than the debates would suggest. Something as important as baptism has sufficiently been captured in the scriptures. Those are all reasons that I care about this issue. But perhaps the greatest and most important reason that baptism matters so much, not only to me, but to us as North Roanoke Baptist Church, is because of what baptism symbolizes. Baptism symbolizes our union with Jesus in His death and His resurrection. The Apostle Paul, all over the place, says that to be saved is to be placed in Christ. There is no doubt that the symbolism of baptism includes other things. You say, well, I thought I got baptized to symbolize the washing away of my sin or of forgiveness. Surely, it includes those things. Acts 2.38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. To represent the forgiveness that is available in Christ. Likewise, in in Acts 22.16, we learn that Ananias said to Paul, after his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on His name. The waters of baptism are are associated with cleansing and forgiveness and all of those other things. But they don't happen because we get wet. They happen because of what baptism symbolizes, which is our union with Christ in His death and His resurrection. His death becomes our death and His life becomes our life. This is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit placing us in Christ through faith. It's a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. God must change us in the hearing and believing on Christ. The Spirit, Titus 3.5, regenerates our hearts. We become, 2 Corinthians 5.17, new creatures in Christ. This is Paul's argument in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. If you're hanging with me on this Bible marathon this morning. We're almost there, I promise. But Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul proves beyond any reasonable doubt in this passage that baptism is an outward picture of an inward transformation effected by the Holy Spirit who applies the death and resurrection of Jesus to those who trust in Him. We could not deserve heaven, but Jesus could. And He came and substituted His life for us. And as we believe the gospel, we are submerged in His death. Our sins are paid for in full. And as we emerge from the waters, we are symbolizing that God has made us new and empowered us now to live for Christ with His people. This is the witness of the New Testament. That people who have this testimony are baptized. They become a part of local churches. 
And anyone who has this testimony should be baptized and become a part of a local church. And let me just ask you, if you're using water to baptize, what better way is there to symbolize a death and a resurrection than by dunking somebody? How else are you going to symbolize a death and a resurrection with water? Buried and raised. And this observation is been made not only by Baptist scholars, but by scholars from many other denominations as well. One man, Tyrell Green, said this, the full force of Paul's words, we are buried with him by baptism into death, could only be realized if the candidate were wholly submerged in water. Yes, baptism symbolizes cleansing and washing and forgiveness, but none of those happen. There is no forgiveness of sin without the death and resurrection of Jesus. Somebody had to pay the price for sin. Jesus came and did it. And so this morning, if you don't know Christ, if you think, man, I got wet when I was four, or when I was four months, or when I was three, but I've never actually heard that Jesus had to die for my sins, that I had to be made new through His death and resurrection, and I want to believe in Jesus as my substitute. The invitation this morning is simple. Don't trust in getting wet. Trust in Jesus. Don't trust in getting wet. Trust in Jesus. And if your trust is in the one who left the glory of heaven to come down and live in your place and die in your place and be raised so that you could have the hope of being raised to live with him forever, then I would invite you this day to come and trust Jesus. And I, if you want to get wet right now, I'll still do it. There's still water in there, and I don't know Donna will help me. If we need to wait a couple weeks to get your proper t-shirt size and all that, it's fine. But we got a bunch of t-shirts back there. If you want to trust Jesus today, I'd love to baptize you, either now or soon. Or perhaps you've known Jesus for a long time, but you've been confused about this baptism thing. You say, I, Jesus is enough, I, and he is enough. He absolutely is enough. And if He's your Lord and Savior and He said, symbolize to the world what I've done for you through baptism, why wouldn't you want to do it? So if you've been holding off, denying, delaying, and you know I need to walk in obedience to Christ and be baptized and join His local church in accountability with other people, let today be the day that you walk in baptism. So the invitation this morning as our instrumentalists come is, is simple. If you don't know Jesus... I want you to trust Him. With all my heart, I'm begging you to give your life to Christ, to turn from your sin and trust Him. And we'll explain to you all that, what it means, and we'll baptize you soon. And, and if you already know Jesus, but you've been holding back on being baptized or holding on to a baptism that preceded your faith in Christ, why not come today and say, I'm ready to walk in obedience and be baptized at North Roanoke Baptist Church. Whatever you need to do, we'd invite you to come in just a moment as we stand and sing. But first, I want to pray for us. Would you, would you join me? God in heaven, give you praise for your word. I give you praise for its clarity. I give you praise for the message of the gospel and the meaning of baptism, God, that, that my life is not my own. God, that you 
have bought me and purchased me at the price of your own son, and that my life is not to be lived for me anymore, but for the glory of the one who saved me. God, thank you for what you're doing in our church, for the baptisms we celebrated today, for your word, and God, for, the, for whoever it is online or in this place or over in the gymnasium who needs to trust you. God, I pray you'd give them the freedom and the liberty to do it today. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.